0: The more that people get in our way or the more that we allow people to get in our way, the more hurdles there are that hinder us from actually reaching our destination.
1: What's up, everyone? This is The Rehumanizing Project from Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate. This is Charlie and I's interview with Nicole DeRoy. She had a crazy story about some healthcare issues she had. Just recently, and she's been going through for a long time. So, we talk a lot about healthcare in this episode if you're interested in that. She's also an artist, she's a musician, she's doing tattoos. We're going to be linking to her Instagram, her Patreon. So, check those out in the show notes. Enjoy the interview.
0: My name is Nicole DeRoy. I grew up just outside Worcester, Massachusetts. I moved around a lot um, in my young adult life after I graduated high school, went out to college in Providence, Rhode Island, Um, spent some time there, ended up moving out to LA for just over a year to pursue music, going to music school. And then I came back, lived in Boston for a bit. I've been around the block a few times, I guess you could say. Okay. (laughs) Um, But that being said, I've mostly just done a lot of work in the service industry for most of my adult life. Up until just over a year ago, I landed a tattoo apprenticeship. So that's what I've been working on currently.
1: Nice. What is your rate for free tattoos these days?
0: (laughs) Well, the uh, the old inside trick is that while I'm an apprentice, I'm not supposed to charge. So it's basically what they can pay (laughs) me.
2: That's where all my tattoos came from was apprentices.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What got you into music? And, you know, why did you decide to move out to L.A.? Why did you uh, not stay there? And why was it liberalism? (laughs) (laughs)
0: All right. So where should I start with that? I was always just kind of driven to music. Like I grew up with my dad blasting Pink Floyd, like literally my entire childhood. I picked up guitar when I was like 12 years old. I was started singing when I was really young. I um, went to dance classes and also took voice lessons and stuff. So I was always kind of like involved in performance art in some sort of way. I guess from there just started writing songs and never really took it too too seriously until I got a little bit older in which case I felt like I had a lot to say with having a lot of teenage angst and like kind of hating everything in the world so
1: So did you sing? Did you did you you know were you writing your own stuff and and doing uh you yeah. know doing your own thing? Was it always a dream?
0: It was for a while. Yeah. Um, until I, uh, started realizing how fucked the music industry is, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but that's kind of like the whole thing where I ended up, well, I first went to college. Um, I was actually studying biology with a chemistry minor and did like lab science as an undergrad and just was like, not into it at all. Just decided that it wasn't really my, my shtick. I ended up um, dropping out of college cause I was like, why am I borrowing all this money that I don't have to do something that I don't want to do? Um, which I feel like there's a lot of people who are in that position in our generation.
1: Yeah, I wish a lot um, of people would ask themselves that question.
0: Yeah, I wish I asked myself that question a lot sooner, to be honest, because I'm still paying off student loans.
1: Ugh. Me too. Um
0: But I mean, after that happened, I just kind of like wanted to do music more and started like playing local gigs and trying to get my name out. Um, I was living in Providence at the time and it was really tough to break into the scene because it was always just like clicky and so difficult. Um, But I mean, I ended up finding Musicians Institute in L.A. and was like, well, fuck it. I'm going to go out there and see what California is all about. Um, cause I kind of always like, when I was young, always wanted to live in California. I was like, Ooh, California, it's sunny all the time and everybody loves it. And that's where dreams come true. Ha ha ha.
1: <laughs> they did a good um, job at the marketing, I guess.
0: Oh yeah, I yeah, know for real. And then, you know, there was just more loan money that I decided to do that for, for the experience more than anything. But basically it was just like when I was out there as I was taking all these classes in music business and like all this other stuff, I was just like, dude, this shit is just bad.
2: Something's, <laughs> dude, something's fishy.
0: Something's fishy. Like if I really wanted to make a living, I would probably have to go into management um, or like music law. And I was like, I'm never going to be able to just, be a musician and actually like live a life at this point. So that's where I kind of like put that on the back burner and started doing some more visual art. Um, and living in LA was just way too expensive. Um, I was working a retail job when I was out there. So that was not really paying much. Um, and then on top of that, it was just like, I was also dating this guy and um, we moved out there together, and he wasn't pulling his weight at all. I'm pretty sure he's a Bernie supporter now. <laughs> um, <laughs> Makes
2: sense, guest. Yeah,
0: but you know, um, I just kind of carried the weight there, and then we ended up moving back. He ended up moving back in with his mom. I ended up moving in with my mom for a little bit of time because my money was drained. And then I broke up with them and just started doing my thing again. So,
1: well, so did you kind of find with the music industry that you really, really need to know someone And to, I found that making it in music, actually being able to make money in music consistently, it's kind of like hitting the lottery or you, you truly did know someone that knew someone or that had a job somewhere high up. And uh, those are some of the only people I know that have, that have actually been able to sustain a music career.
0: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. And that was kind of like where I lost the allure. I was like, I don't want to play this stupid fucking game and just like worry about, um, how many people can I convince to come out to my gig or like, there's the number of times that I did pay to plays just at the hope of like reaching a few other people in the audience. It was just, it was, it, it literally like took the fun out of it entirely and I wasn't enjoying it anymore.
2: Now what Um, time, what, what years did you do this?
0: um, So I started playing the local circuit in Rhode Island. um, Let's say this was like 2009 to like, I went out to LA in 2012 Mm. um, and was back just before at the end of 2013
2: this is all kind of the same timing. And so, and, and in that music was shifting as well um, massively to basically all streaming. So it wasn't, you weren't really selling CDs or anything like that anymore. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. It was wild too, because like, I didn't even know what Spotify was yet. And um, one of my uh, marketing teachers was like talking about how you can get on Spotify and all this stuff. And I was like, what is going on?
1: (laughs) It's just a fad. You know,
0: yeah, and everybody started was everyone was doing like auto tune and all this like manipulation, and I was like, "Where's the art and music anymore? It's just disappeared, you know
2: it's true yeah, there was a massive massive shift at that time, which we both experienced as well so sure. um, so you do you said you grew up in Massachusetts, is that right yep, and so what what was that like? what was it like growing up in the northeast and um what would you say politically you grew up as or was there much political influence um, as you were growing and getting older and starting to understand the, the political spectrum, so to speak?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, I always um, had like a little bit of like an anti-authority kind of uh, vibe going on. Um, I grew up, um, my family was just like kind of pretty politically apathetic for the most part voted whoever they thought, like, they should be voting for, and being Massachusetts, it was probably Democrat all the time, and I know a lot of my family members currently, they do just strictly vote Democrat, and so I kind of grew up under the ruse of being like, okay, well, I guess I'm, I'm a Democrat, like, I'm a liberal, like, I want to end, I want world peace, I want to end war, which turns out none of them want to do that anyway, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, I thought it was the humanitarian thing to do. And I was always told that like George Bush was evil and like all this other stuff. I didn't really have a lot of influence from my parents, um, but I did. I was raised Catholic and went to a Catholic school um, until sixth grade. And, like, that's where I kind of started, like, thinking out of the box more and more frequently for myself because I didn't really identify with, um, you know, just kind of, like, questioning, like, oh, you know, what is this? And started, like, looking into atheism and that kind of thing and starting to think a little bit more critically. It was actually a defining moment. I remember my sixth grade science teacher at this Catholic school um, had little figurines on her desk of um the evolution of man in different stages Hmm. and it was like that moment where I was like okay so you're teaching us this but then you're also teaching us that you know everything just kind of like came from Adam and Eve and I'm like uh this makes more sense to me so that's kind of like where my critical thinking started coming into play and I just kind of always was curious from there.
2: Would you Um, say your creative side kind of led you to keep digging deeper um you know being involved in the arts and And obviously music, and and then now you say you're an apprentice and and wanted to be a tattoo artist. So with that creative side, you say kind of led to you having that critical thinking as well, and and starting to dig deeper on those types of things.
0: Yeah, I feel like that definitely had um, some sort of influence. Um, I mean, once I once I like moved out and like was at college and started like experimenting with things more. Like I did some psychedelics and stuff, and that definitely like opened up my mind a lot. I mean, who doesn't say that when they do psychedelics? (laughs) That's (laughs) that's
1: the selling point.
0: Um, But I mean, it's just like that's kind of like when I started to like see things in a different light where I was like, okay, nothing is really as it seems. And there's more to all of this politics stuff than I think meets the eye. I'll admit I didn't know any better and I voted for Obama in 2008 it was the first time I could vote. And I was like, so gung ho to do it. <laughs> um, and I was like, yes, black president, let's do this. And
2: hope and change, you know?
0: Oh yeah. You know, I mean, it sold me. And then I started seeing everything <laughs> fall apart and like started to question it. And then it was like, I was introduced to libertarianism and, um, Ron Paul, um, before I went out to LA, it was probably around 2010, 2011. And I started to be like, wait a second, this kind of aligns more because I just don't think that there should be that much government control over people in general. And it's not that I can't be a good person and can't be a human, human humanitarian and like be anti-war and stuff without, you know, being a a liberal or a republican or whatever you know it's it's like i started seeing that there's all these gray areas that it's not just simply blue and blue and red you know
2: right you're like a, you know during obama's administration they're like oh they're still spying on us and they're still dropping bombs and we're starting yep. more wars yep and uh you know something nate and i talk about all the time it's like man where is the left like they used to be so anti-war what happened
0: and I think that's where, like, I initially had a, had thought that that's who I was as you know, a person in a political spectrum because I never wanted the wars. Like, I remember when nine eleven happened, I was in ninth grade and I was in the middle of class, and I remember just like being like, "What the hell is actually going on right now?" And then it was just from there, everything got so much worse.
1: And so you said it was Ron Paul that kind of pushed you over. Uh, the, over that hurdle, were you already considering the smaller government government aspect, any kind of libertarianism? Or, you know, were you like, uh, you know, me just fumbling around on YouTube and ended up watching a few, you know, a few too many Ron Paul videos, and all of a sudden, here I am uh, holding up signs and stuff. Um, you know, is that kind of the same thing for you? Were you already on that spectrum?
0: I was kind of already on the spectrum of like smaller government, but I didn't like really understand where i i fit in with that i didn't really like recognize either democrats or republicans as being one or the other to me they were just government um so it was kind of like playing off to the lesser of evils from what i thought at that point in time in my life with that experience in time Um, so it was like i actually had a friend who he started talking about um, politics and we would all talk, sit around and drink coffee and then go to the bar and talk politics um, pretty regularly. And he was the one who actually like introduced me to Ron Paul and libertarianism. And I was like, Holy shit, there's actually like another ideology, huh? And he's like, Oh yeah. <laughs> and then it was like, just talking about that. I was like, wow, this is actually, this fits, this definitely fits much better. <laughs> and then it was just like, I, I, it just opened the floodgates. I just kept researching and kept like looking into it. And before you knew it, I was voting libertarian every time there was an election. So.
2: So are you saying that through that research and everything you figured out that you can, you can be a humanitarian, you can care about people, but actually there's a better way than, than voting the status quo.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I think too, um, with my increased life experience, I started seeing that, um, the more government was meddling in my personal life, the less I was actually able to thrive. And I mean, I've been at a point, my literally ever since I started working as a teenager, like I've been paycheck to paycheck my whole life at this point. And it's, it's hurt me more having government involvement. Um, like when the affordable care act first started, um, It was in a position where it was like, not every employer was required to yet provide insurance unless you were full-time. And I was just working a bunch of part-time jobs, serving at this place, bartending at this one and like jumping from one to the other. And nobody was ever offering insurance. And while I was basically working week to week, I ended up going to do my taxes and got hit with a $700 fine for mm. not buying it. And that's what, that was like the last straw. I was like, there's, there's no way that I can just like sit back and watch this happen to other people. So,
1: yeah. Bu- that's a, that's, sorry. That's really
2: good. Sorry. I, I just kind of want to, while you're on that, um, what, yeah. other, what other personal experiences have you had where, you know, it's something the government has says, Hey, we're here to help, but it actually ends up hurting.
0: Oh, I mean, can I talk about COVID at <laughs> all? Like- yeah.
2: <laughs> I, I think mean, it's for instance,
0: um, it literally this entire year has been a clusterfuck. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. through um, my apprenticeship, I was also working 30 hours a week at a coffee shop in the morning to because an apprenticeship is unpaid. You work for free um, in exchange for education in the trade and the craft. Um, Which I really actually appreciate as a libertarian, because I feel like you get out of it what you put into it. Mm -hmm. And it really shows that like um, you can you can really have an honest interest and really want to do something because there's no other motivation than getting to that other side. Um, So I was working 30 hours a week as a barista at a local coffee roaster Um, and then going to the shop another 40 to 50 hours a week on top of that pre COVID. And then I remember it was Friday the 13th, March 13th. Um, (laughs) basically the coffee shops were shutting down. Everything was shutting down. The whole state of Rhode Island was shutting down. Everybody was already working from home, like at least a week or two out. A lot of companies had already started transitioning that way. And I was laid off overnight and um, I still had my apprenticeship to go to, but I didn't really have any income coming in whatsoever. And it took almost a month for them to figure out how to get that going and like get the unemployment going. And even then it was like, great. So I was already going week to week on such like a thin margin um, just to get my bills paid. And then they take an extra like 30% out of it just for it being unemployment. It's like you don't get, Like I was essentially working for minimum wage, which here is $10 and 50 cents plus some tips. So I was averaging around 15 an hour, but I was only getting paid out like maybe 300 a week on the unemployment. That right there totally screwed things up. Like there was, they had just opened a brand new location, the coffee shop. Basically, there was like 25 employees, like they had grown from like five of them just five years previously to 25. And now they're back down operating with five people again for takeout service only. And it was just like all of got laid off.
1: I was going to ask how the coffee shop itself was doing, if it was still in business.
0: Yeah, they're, um, they're making it work, which I'm really happy to see, because they're actually like really good people. And like, they were a really good company to work for. And it was probably like one of the best employers I had actually had my entire life. Yeah, I mean, fortunately, they're still kicking. So it seems like they're going to make it through. Um, there is a really good sense of community here in Providence, which I think is really what's carrying them.
1: Going back to growing up and everything, did you grow up financially comfortable? Were, were your Was your family wealthy? Were you poor? Were you middle class? What, what was that like?
0: There, uh, we were definitely like working middle class. Um, my mom was a nurse and my dad was um, a mechanic, basically blue collar um, all day. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we definitely like, we weren't like, you know, hurting, but we weren't like, you know, had all this money coming out of, you know, to throw around all over the place either, but
1: you didn't sleep on a bed of money or anything like that.
0: No, absolutely not. Okay. And like, there was definitely, um, spats and arguments between my parents over money pretty frequently. So, I mean, things definitely got tight from time to time, but, um, Fortunately for them, at least, things have gotten better as um, their individual careers have um, progressed. So, but yeah, nothing like crazy, just pretty modest, humble living.
1: Did you, you know, growing up like that, I'm always interested because Charlie and I both, we both grew up real real poor, but we both came out libertarians somehow, which means we're making the whole poor story up. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> um but that's that's it's what been we've told. been told anyway. Did you have a lot of moments coming out of that where you just you wished that there would just be this uh you know this Almighty government providing everything all the time? you know was that a pretty big big enticing thing to think about in those times?
0: I mean, not necessarily. Um, My parents were always really strong willed in their work ethic and they they taught my brother and I both to also be that way and to really, you know, want to be better and work hard and, and earn things. I learned at a young age to to have a strong work ethic and that it would pay off for me. And come to find out as, you know, working in service industry, that's kind of like where I started working as a server and a bartender was I wanted to earn what I was putting into it instead of having like somebody determining whatever wage they wanted to pay me. Um, and then more, more and more places started transitioning to tip pool environments And that just made me even more frustrated because I felt like I was doing a lot of work and picking up a lot of slack regularly because that's just who I am. And like, it's something that I've been trying to work on with my own personal boundaries with those settings. Is like, you know, don't pick up the slack for everybody. But when you know that your own income is dependent on them slacking off, then it's kind of like somebody's got to step in and do it. So it was like those little, (laughs) my, uh, I had a friend of mine, um, we both worked at a beer hall together and he's also a libertarian and we would just be like, yep, this place is an experiment in socialism right here.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think everyone should wait tables for a while in their life sometime work somewhere where you get to keep your own tips and then work somewhere where you have to share with everyone else or make sure you, you, uh, take tables, keeping your own tips and then take big parties with people. And see how you feel when you're obviously the one that does everything, and then you have to split it with someone else, and um, you'll you'll figure out real quick why a lot of people think libertarianism or free markets are a better way to go, because uh, it's kind of an obvious thing. People, if people can slack off, there are it's not everyone, but there are people who will slack off if they're gonna m- make the same amount regardless. Yeah.
2: Well, think about think about the incentive. So if you're partnered up with somebody on a big party, let's say, and they already have their rent paid for that month <laughs> and you don't, right. well, there's a different incentive structure then for who's going to work that party a little harder, right? Oh, of course. Depending, depending on personality <laughs> and pride and, and things like that.
1: Well, we should get rid of rent.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, <that's>, that'll solve it. <laughs> right, because
0: housing's a right. Yeah.
2: And everybody will work the par- party equally poorly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Nobody will care to serve great value because uh, of the incentive structure no i find that interesting and i think uh you know nate and i both when we were when we played music um when we were when we came home we did a bunch of different jobs but um you know i bartended and served as, as well as nate did and then also we did construction work and things like that um you know to make ends meet because we weren't um, we weren't rich rock stars. That's for sure.
0: Right.
2: And uh,
1: so. it who
0: is honestly, Right, With all right. those advances you got to recoup, forget it.
1: The evil 1% Point. of musicians. That's, right. who, that's who it is. 1% of musicians.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> they make all of the money.
0: We just have to tax them. That's the answer. That's what it is.
1: Yeah. We <laughs> need, there needs to be a musician musician tax for Taylor Swift to pay for all of the poor musicians that are trying to make it right now right i that's think she
0: actually is. has a house in rhode island i should just go down there and and just you know sit in yeah. stage just sit in well that's and like,
1: she obviously stopped you from making a lot of money in music because she yes. made money in music so that's right so, that's
0: how that works that's
1: that's exactly how that obviously works <laughs> so, um oh. i, I want to know about your story with uh, what's going on with I mean, I read your thing, and I know you sent this um, a little bit ago when we booked everything. Have you had the surgery that you were talking about yet? Oh,
0: fortunately, yeah, because I was on the phone for literally a week straight with like 20 different representatives. It was insane. Um, So I've had this crazy medical journey almost my entire life. Um, which <laughs> I think it's so bizarre cause it's like, people would assume that I would just be jumping on the Medicare for all train mm-hmm. and like, just from looking at it, you know, people could easily assume that I would be all for it. But there's so many reasons for my experience that makes me say the opposite. Um, so like I started having health issues actually at a really young age, I was like eight years old and I started having digestive problems. Um, which, you know, it wasn't until I was a teenager that we went to a gastroenterologist and they couldn't find anything wrong. They'd just be like, oh, there's inflammation. We don't know. Here, take all these pills. And I was like, okay, I'll do whatever you say. You're the doctor. Um, and basically that's been my experience a lot is going between different um, specialists over and over again, just doing what they say and not having anything fixed. Um it wasn't until a few years ago that I started like advocating for myself and my healthcare, and started doing more of the research on my own terms. And um, I had like this really turning point. It was about four years ago. I started having neuropathy shooting all through my body, um, crawling sensations on my skin, Um, I was having a lot of fatigue, brain fog, um, my muscles started twitching, a whole bunch of stuff just started going wrong. Mm. And I saw a myriad of doctors yet again, and all of my tests continued to come back fine. Um, Got tested for Lyme disease, and the first screening came back negative, so they just dismissed it. Turns out, several years later, I went to um, a cardiologist, because I started having Heart rate issues and palpitations and arrhythmias, um, even tachycardia, there were times where I was brushing my teeth and my watch would go off because I had a smartwatch um, and my heart rate would skyrocket over 100 just brushing my teeth.
1: You should try brushing them lighter. That's not really great on your teeth i don't think and like going at it that hard you know or maybe like an electric toothbrush take
0: it easy yeah (laughs) i would try (laughs) try
1: an electric toothbrush if if oh yeah no
0: jackhammer you didn't need need
1: the doctor that whole time you just needed to switch to an electric toothbrush (laughs) (laughs) thanks dr nate (laughs) okay sorry go ahead
0: okay that's okay but yeah so it turns out this cardiologist was like have you ever been tested for lyme and i was like uh yeah it came back negative though this was like three years ago and she goes, let's just test you again for it. And she ran a, a Western blot, which still came back CDC negative. But that being said, I had individual antibodies that were Lyme specific. Mm. So I ended up trying to get another doctor that was um, specialist in Lyme disease. And then on top of it, too, I was having um, fertility health problems. So it's just this is all just like an, a web of mess, right? Um, so I started seeing an OBGYN, um, looking into endometriosis subsequently at the same time with all of this stuff. And in which case that's what the surgery was for. It was a laparoscopy with, um, to look around and have an excision if there was any, which there was. The problem with the surgery was, um, I was getting my health care because my employer didn't provide it because they were too small of a company. They just didn't have that in their budget. So I was getting my health care through the state, um, the marketplace of the state but I purchased a Blue Cross Blue Shield plan knowing that I had all of these issues and I needed more intense coverage and more care. Um in which case because of my income, you know, they gave me the good old tax credit rate which was it was you know, I it was helpful for me and I was like, well if this exists, I might as well take advantage of it because mm-hmm. we're all paying taxes anyways, so Amen. While it's here, I'm going to get mine, you know. Um, I always felt guilty about it, but I always just try to keep that in my head. Like this is just temporary, it's fine. <laughs> yeah. It'll be okay. So it's like, I'm officially a fake libertarian.
1: <laughs> if, if you've paid if you've paid money in taxes, I mean, I don't we've we've actually talked to a lot of people about this that have been having similar conversations with themselves about taking uh, the money from, from those programs. And I always we go got back a, to
2: we got a PPP loan. Uh,
1: yeah, we got a, yeah, we got a PPP yeah. loan in, in the in right. the stimulus. So, I mean, what it's, it's money, you know, the, the taxes have been taken from you. Other people are going to take it. All I would say we're is already if, spending it. if you weren't going Absolutely. to use it, and that meant they were going to not spend the money and send it back to the taxpayers, then we could have a conversation about that. Right. Um, but the, the money is is uh, is earmarked. It's going to be to be spent inside of that. And even Ron Paul brought money back to his district all the time. Ayn Ram took social security. It's uh I I don't see anything. Uh, well the
2: money uh, spent on your insurance was actually probably already done ten years ago.
1: Yeah, yeah true, true. True. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> That is the hard part because we were like, oh, we can take this loan that we pay money in taxes, and eh, you know, your tax money's already gone. It's gone, right? It was spent, right? Like Charlie said, it was spent a long time ago, but um, there's no reason to put yourself at a disadvantage to, uh, to everyone who is going to use the program while it's there. So, yeah,
0: no, absolutely. I agree. Um, it's just funny because it's like, Sometimes you, you got to go against your convictions just because that's what is happening at this point in time. You know, it's very strange.
2: It's well, like, when you're left with one shitty option, that's really the only option you have to go. Oh, no, yeah, that's you
0: know? that's 100 percent the case.
2: And that's and the unfortunate. So, most people don't realize that we're actually there is no free market healthcare system. No, like there's not like you. There's no options for you to choose from, really. Like you're left with one terrible option and nope. that's all you really can go with. Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm interested if you um if you want to you know share as much as you want obviously this is your your um you know your story your health care um i'm interested what were the antibodies um the the main antibodies that you had and and, uh, as far as your inflammation was it more like in your stomach or your lower intestines
0: i uh I had a myriad of symptoms. Um, I was getting like joint pain and swelling. I also would have like recurrent, like abdominal bloating. I would literally look like four or five months pregnant if I ate something that triggered it. Um, since then I've actually like totally cut, um, gluten dairy and sugar out of my diet. And that's been super helpful. Um, because all of those things actually feed the Lyme bacteria and they often do find home in the gut. Um, Mm. The Lyme specialist who I'm seeing, uh, she's actually a functional medicine practitioner. She's a rheumatologist um, at heart, Um, but she has a a nurse who works alongside her who is both a nutritionist also, Um, and she actually spent some time... Um, over in the eastern hemisphere, studying some eastern medicine to help find a balance between using diagnostics as well as like natural healing. Um, And so that's too, it it came down to a point where I ended up following this path where I'm doing more like natural remedies and like these alternative therapies that aren't even covered by insurance to begin with, and they're in the free market. And I'm actually capable of I mean, I might have to take out my credit card every now and then to, you know, pick up some supplements, but it's, it's still like, it's an investment in my health. So like, I have no problem at all doing that. I ended up having, um, I guess I'm like kind of dancing around the question a little bit. So I'll like step back. Well,
1: just send, send us over your chart later. If you don't want to actually go all the way (laughs) you know, into it and we'll go over it.
2: Yeah. So, I'll send you fun. a HIPAA uh, agreement pretty soon.
0: But um, I actually, um, it turned out that I had SIBO, which is small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, which is a major gut flora imbalance, um, which is extremely difficult to correct, um, mm. which is often from the Lyme disease. I still don't have any specifics of exactly which culprits from Lyme I'm dealing with. Um, I would have to go through very specific, like extensive, very expensive testing in order mm-hmm. to get those answers. So we're just kind of like um supplementing and using like herbal protocols and doing like build and kill cycles for my gut and like all this other stuff. Um so Wonder. basically herbal antimicrobials and I mean the nurse herself even had Lyme disease and she's fought it off for the most part. Um, it's one of those things that it's like unless you catch it right away, it never really goes away and even then the cdc doesn't even recognize it as being chronic which is so incredibly discouraging and false the fact that millions of people get Lyme disease all the time and the cdc doesn't even like agree that you're sick it's absolutely disgusting
2: and so that that then is uh, discouraging to, towards Insurance companies and coverages and what they'll actually do. Um, Absolutely. Because they, yeah, because they somehow the almighty state decided that this is just not something that uh, that deserves and the the chronic illness categorization. Absolutely. And, and in large part, they do that for for those listening because um, it's directed by Medicare and Medicaid because of what they'll cover.
0: <laughs> um,
2: this is kind of an offline suggestion, but have you ever thought about reaching out to the Mayo Clinic?
0: Um, no, I haven't. I have not.
2: Yeah. I would. Um, if you know, just something that you could try if you wanted to, um, they, um, they work with, um, with low income or no insurance type of people and they do a lot of like funky type of research. And so if you're, you know, is your test still came back negative and then you're, there's other symptoms and perhaps some different type of, um, Uh, you know, antibodies that that are coming back, it could be, you know, some type of autoimmune or something like that. Like I know someone who um, has a a pretty rare condition um, and they have uh, elevated asanophils Hmm. and those antibodies uh, are typically present when like you have a parasite. Um, And a lot of people like have uh, asanophilic asthma and different things. So you have like this buildup of these antibodies that causes crazy damage and inflammation and all kinds of stuff. Um, So, but uh, the, the Mayo Clinic Um, typically now sometimes they, they won't, but if you have, uh, something interesting, a lot of times they'll take it on and they'll fly you out there and everything.
0: Oh, wow.
2: Yeah. It's worth looking into.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. I had no idea they did such a thing.
2: Yeah. Especially if you, you know, if you're having, well, if you're having, you know, Lyme symptoms, but other symptoms too, that they can't really quite figure out it's possible. They've got, they've got some good people over there.
0: Oh, sure. Yeah, I'll have to do some research into that. Thank you for letting me know. That's really yeah, cool information.
1: So, what's it been like dealing with insurance slash, uh, you know, Medicaid things like that? Trying to get all of this figured out. I mean, has it just been uh, this breeze through process where you just got everything paid for and it was awesome, or, or you know, what's it been like trying to actually get
0: all of this done? Well, since I. Um... Since I was paying for a Blue Cross plan, you know, it's been pretty simple for the most part. Um, What happened more recently where I ran into a lot of problems um, was because I use the state marketplace for insurance, um, they need you to certify permission to renew annually for them. So I got a notice in the mail a few weeks ago. This was like maybe a week or two before my surgery was scheduled for my endometriosis. Um, and I had already met my deductible on my plan. So I was going into this surgery, like wiping my hands clean, not having to really worry about it. Um, and so I called them in just to give them the permission, permission to recertify. And they asked me if anything changed and like, you know, I kind of avoided calling them all year with COVID not going to lie <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the whole unemployment. And then there was like the supplemental unemployment and, and like benefits and then that went away and then it came back and then it went away and it's just been a mess. So like, I didn't even want to deal with that. Um, and I didn't want to risk losing my coverage or having my coverage get screwed up at all whatsoever, knowing that I had this surgery scheduled a few weeks ago. Um, and so I, you know, while I was on the line, I updated my income information and the agent who was working with me was just like, oh, great. You're on Medicare. And I'm like, well, not Medicare, Medicaid. I'm sorry. Mm. And I was like, wait, what about my plan? And she was like, Oh well, your income qualifies you for Medicaid, so we'll we'll send you out your new card. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Hold on. (laughs) It's like I've paid all year for this plan. I hit my deductible. I have a surgery scheduled next week. I need my plan back.
2: And Obama said, "Oh,
0: huh?"
2: And Obama said, "If I like it, I can keep it."
0: right but clearly that's not the case because you don't have an option whatsoever if you and then they don't even look at your annual income either so it's it's basically based on your actual current income so even if somebody you know made $100,000 a year if they went one month where they didn't have any income and this was the case they would just drop them onto medicaid it's, it's absolute crap. And you Mm. don't even have a say in it unless you opt out of um, financial assistance. So then I also ended up having to completely waive my tax credit. So now I'm actually paying almost $200 more a month when I'm still unemployed (laughs) (laughs) for the same plan that I've been paying for all year. But, um, that's neither here nor there. Um, but so what happened was this agent told me that she went back in and undid everything and everything was going to be fine. And my plan was not going to be interrupted. And then that ne- that following Monday, I got a letter, um, from, you know, health source, Rhode Island saying that, um, you know, my plan was inactive as of September 30th and that my Medicaid card was in the mail. And it was literally in another envelope from that same day from the mail. Mm. <laughs> And here I am, my, my surgery was that next Friday. It was literally five days away. (laughs) Wow. So I got right on the phone. I had to explain the situation to several agents. They were telling me, oh, well, we'll escalate this to, um, the highest person and all this other stuff, but I could never get through to these, these high people, you know, they always just had to put like an urgent sign, like next to my case number or whatever, and so I had to keep calling and like trying to figure this out. And every single time I got somebody new on the line, I had to explain it because they can't just like sit and read through my case file. Yeah. <laughs> they have to make me explain it again. So it was, it was really kind of a nightmare and I just started like freaking out and I was like losing my mind and my mental health was tanking because I was like having a conniption and Um, It was two days before my surgery. I had the hospital calling me being like, oh, it looks like your plan isn't active. We need the replacement. And I'm like, this is what's happening. This is what did happen. This is what I've been working on for the last three days. I do have, I will have coverage. I got um, confirmation that it will be reinstated. It's just a matter of them physically doing it. They were like, oh, well, if we don't get it by 2 p.m., (laughs) then we're going to have to cancel it so we can get somebody else in. And this was at like 11 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, cool. So you're giving me three hours to actually get this to happen while I'm waiting on state and government employees to actually <laughs> push this through with zero like, sense of urgency because they probably don't get fired.
2: <laughs> you're like, Thank God I'm unemployed. Cause this is a full-time job.
0: Oh my God. No, seriously. If I had to go to work, I wouldn't have had my surgery. (laughs) It's absolutely
2: insanity. Insanity. And follow that up with how you think, um, you know, a a free market or libertarian solution would be better. Like how would it, how would that type of solution um, curb the problems that you experienced uh, or have that you've experienced really your whole life with this, with this type of issue?
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, like, honestly, I feel like a lot of it is, um, A lot of the the problems that I've had, I mean, honestly, I've had like almost 20 different specialists and doctors throughout my lifetime. Um, And the fact that all of them have licenses tied to the state that they're licensed in and operating in, and the fact that those licenses are dependent upon the terms that the CDC set, they don't have any medical autonomy whatsoever. And they just kind of like do what they're told and like, just treat you like the other thousand people that they treat every week. And they don't look at anyone as an individual. Um, what I've learned most over this last year is that there is truly a lack of focus on wellness in general in this country. And I feel like in a lot of healthcare in general, um, and I mean, even when I found out that I had Lyme specific antibodies, I called my primary care physician and being like, hey, can you just like put me on an antibiotic? Isn't that what we should do? And her response was, well, if it's an old infection, the CDC says not to do that. So no, I'm not going to do that. I'm like, so you're just going to let me be sick. She's like, well, I can't do that. I'm like, okay, well, what am I supposed to do? You know? Um, And then even then too, just like the actual alternative therapies that I've been using um, with supplements and the herbs. And I've even been doing this thing called cold laser therapy, where it's um, a low frequency laser that's been actually pointed at my joints. Um, When lockdown first started happening here, I ended up going into a major flare because I was so incredibly stressed out. And my right knee, my elbow, and just totally like swelled up. I had this giant bursitis in my knee. And just that cold laser therapy alone has helped reduce that. And it's $30 per session out of pocket. So it's like, they're just knowing that there are other therapies that can work that are in a free market. And the fact that they're not really often um, put out there just because of how a lot of medical doctors practice, it's just really sad. And it's like, I just so happened to find the right practitioner who actually like does these things and looks at you as an individual. And they ran all this blood work and looked at my exact levels and saw that I also had Um, high levels of arsenic that needed to be handled and like all this other stuff. And I was just like, Whoa, for the first time in my life, I feel like I'm being treated like an individual. Um, So I guess like just kind of like getting the government out of saying how to care for people is really kind of like the big first step to getting a freer market with healthcare and letting doctors use these different types of treatments, and letting a doctor and the patient make the decisions instead of you know the bureaucrats in Washington. So, what's,
2: what's interesting? Did is that, that,
0: that answer the question, or did I just like derail? Yeah, no, I, got, I
2: like that a lot. I, I, I find something interesting in that, which is um, we're all unique, diverse individuals, and uh, a Medicare for all doesn't actually work. No, because, because you know, depending on. Uh, your, well, obviously your genetic makeup or where you came from and how you grew up and the different types of foods that you eat and all kinds of things, the illnesses can treat people all kinds of different ways. Absolutely. So, you know, a blanket a plan of, uh, well, if you have this diagnosis, then this is what you have to do. That doesn't always work. And I find that interesting, you know, and I I, I guess I harp on the left a lot, but they want to embrace diversity, but they want the solution to be the same for everyone. And it's like, well, right. those can't happen. That can't work.
1: It mm-hmm. doesn't make sense, especially medicine. It, it really yeah. just doesn't work that way. Uh, Education,
2: medicine—I mean, there's all kinds of places.
1: How do you end up not just saying, "Well, we just we're just going to have to have Medicare for all"? Because if I just would have had that, then I just could have gone and taken care of all this. I could have seen all twenty specialists, and it would have been perfect. And they they would have given me, given me my own u- unicorn when I left, and and uh, you know, ridden there on a rainbow, and it would have been amazing. Um, how do you not just end up? Uh, just deciding that Medicare for all is the best thing to do.
0: Well, here's the thing. Like I, that's where um, my, my critical thinking skills come into play. So if the government is the one providing the payment, they can decide what they're paying for and what they're not going to pay for. And if they don't think that these therapies are worth paying for, and if they don't think that it's actually <laughs> worth it to get people into wellness it's not going to happen and even then too like I always have this um you know, this wonder that comes in my head. And especially anytime I see like someone on social media who who might be like from Canada talking about how awesome it is that they could have just gone to the doctor. And it's like, are you chronically ill though? How often do you really go to the doctor where you don't really notice these things? Like, is the government going to be telling me that I have a quota of how many times I can see my doctor? Because I go in and get cold laser every week. Like, are they going to tell me what I can use a single payer system towards, probably, Mm -hmm. they're going to be dictating that. And then I'll be paying these absurd taxes at higher rates, like we all will. And yet I'll still have to pay out of pocket for these things. So that's where it's like, I, there's definitely a huge disconnect there. And I think people don't realize that, um, you know, the more that you give them control over a market, the more they're going to decide what is worth it to them, and not to you.
2: Well, they're already showing their cards by the CDC, not labeling Lyme disease as a chronic illness.
0: Oh my God. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. I'm in so many like, support groups on Facebook that is just like thousands and thousands of people who are going through this. And every single one of them end up having to fork out thousands of dollars out of pocket for these alternative therapies for a hope of a semblance of a normal life. And even then, most of us don't even achieve it. We still have to continue to live like this for the rest of our lives. Like, I don't know if I'll ever stop having neuropathy or stop having heart rate issues. Like there's comes a point where even if I don't have an active infection, it's almost like there's already damage done because this bacteria is a corkscrew and it finds its way into your organs and de- destroys them from the inside out. And it's like, you can't undo damage like that. So it's it's really unfortunate. And the fact that people are just constantly gaslit by medical professionals in the way that everything is already run, putting more of that power into a, a you know, somebody like in an office on a golden toilet, like,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I don't coffee.
0: want that. <laughs> yeah, I mean,
1: In the CDC, like Charlie said, I mean, they can't classify that as a, as a chronic illness, because there's not just a, there's not a, there, there's not a pill that you can take. And it's like, Oh, you don't have Lyme disease anymore. Uh, cuz right. this takes care of it or or you just go get that treatment right there and then it takes care of it it's it's like like you're experiencing it's all types of different things that you're dealing with and it presents in so many different ways and right. therefore they can't if they can't type it out in this 2000 page contract to send to a doctor then then they're not going to be able to set any guidelines on it therefore it doesn't exist <laughs>
0: so. right and then on top of it i'm not like they're not going like it it yeah, it's like the pharmaceutical industry too is just oh god, the way that they're in the pocket with all of these politicians and like the C D C and the FDA and all this shit. <laughs> Pardon well, my French. Well, that's just unfeathered
1: um, capitalism.
0: Oh, yeah, of course. That's exactly what it is, because it's not the bureaucrats that have anything to do with it. And it's not the cronies who have anything to do with it. But it's like, they're literally in the business of keeping people sick. And the number of times that I see people who have because at first I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia before it was discovered that it was from Lyme disease. I'm like, partially convinced that most people who have, quote unquote, fibromyalgia just have undiagnosed Lyme disease. I mean, it's probably not necessarily always the case, but it's pretty likely that that could be the case. And, um, and
2: fibromyalgia may just be a symptom.
0: No, it's, it's literally just a set of symptoms that they don't have a diagnosis for. And they just right. say that you have fibromyalgia and then prescribe you a whole bunch of habit-forming pills. I was on gabapentin for six months, and it was the worst six months of my life. Mm. Like, I ended up, like, working with my doctor to wean me off of it, and that, that itself was horrendous. And I was only on it for six months. It's, like, it's it just, it just blows my mind. And it's like, I feel like unless people actually have this experience, they don't actually start to understand how screwed up the system is and why we, we need a free market to, to solve it, you know? It's, yeah, it just sucks, man. <laughs> I,
2: mean, I think a lot of people understand, or I think a lot of people know the system's screwed up. I just don't think they understand why. Right. Well, so that's why they default to, well, wouldn't it just be better if everyone had free health care? You know,
0: right. Be
2: better. And they don't realize, well, the actual cause to our screwed up system has to do with the government to begin with. So mm-hmm. why would we have the same entity that's causing the problem, fix the problem uh, we should move away from that? And, and you know, there's never going to be a, per- a perfect healthcare care system. I mean, it's healthcare. Exactly. There's going to be all kinds of new things. We had just had a new virus this year, I believe. I don't know if you guys heard about it. <laughs> not, but a brand yeah. new virus in healthcare that we didn't know about. I think they call it the novel coronavirus. Um, so
1: there's... all that there's mean? It's new. Kind of it's
0: weird. new, right? We've never had it before.
1: Right. Well, the, yeah, this, this, this version. One, yes. Yeah. There yeah. wasn't... There weren't currently anything on the books for the CDC on the SARS-CoV-2, I guess, so far. You know what I was interested in was... That, uh, that evil, evil smartwatch you have while you're brushing your teeth that told you that your heart, w- heart rate was going crazy. Um, when did the government send that to you so they could take care of you and make sure that you were going to get through that okay? <laughs> you know, that's what I'm interested in. Because how would you have ever, you know, how would you have known specifically what your heart rate was if it weren't for the benevolent government uh, and the state health care Exchange there that sent you that nice smartwatch, you know, There's that no way, way to know
2: you know, I mean no way a evil greedy two trillion dollar company sent you that.
0: <laughs> There's <Yeah>. no way. <laughs> no way. I didn't get it through my my phone plan, not at all.
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I want to um uh, as we're it out here, I'm gonna ask you a totally different question. Yeah, um, sure. Um, who is Nicole? And I don't mean, you know, what do you do or anything like that? Like what are your what are your hopes and dreams? Like what defines you as a person? What, um, what do you believe in? What I mean, this in a way of, um, you know, do you, do you hate all people or do you want the the best for people? And, and then are you just, you know, a normal person trying to live the best life possible or, or what's your, what's your end goal?
0: I mean um, yeah, I, I've always wanted to inspire people to be better ever since I was a little girl like I always felt that you know there was people out there in the world that not that I hate people but a lot of people are a disappointment we'll put it that way <laughs> um and I've always just wanted to inspire people to be better um I guess in a way that kind of like that's what my struggle has been about is me trying to empower people to Um, advocate for themselves and take things into their own hands and I mean a huge turning point for me in my personal life especially like on my path to discovering like what I wanted to do for a living was it was once I started realizing that I didn't have to be a victim that I was actually capable of unlocking my potential I mean I just honestly I just want to like have a nice plot of land where I can have some chickens and some goats and like have this nice little greenhouse and try to grow my own food. And, you know, I just want to travel and see the world and, and meet people and have really great conversations with people. Like I'm all about getting into the nitty gritty. I hate small talk. It makes me uncomfortable. And I think (laughs) like, you know, I mean, I'm just super individualistic. Like, I think that's why I've gone onto the path where I'm going to be a tattoo artist. Like I just need to be in control of my life. And that's kind of like my entire drive is to just like have it and have the control of it and not have anybody tell me that I can and can't do something. You know,
2: I love that. And I love the way you put it that in your personal life, you realize like, I'm, I'm not a victim. I do have abilities. I am capable and it takes, you know, I think one thing we lack maybe in our society is that encouragement for those. And, and, you know, conservatives, I would say, or maybe even libertarians get a bad rap on, you know, the whole pick yourself up by your bootstraps connotation. And it's not really that. What it it really is, is the encouragement of like, you are capable of things beyond your wildest dream. And Mm -hmm. if you just put some work into it, who knows what you could accomplish. You could change the whole world um, just by getting your own shit together. And that's the real message uh, of, to me, and that's the real encouragement that people have all of this unbelievable potential locked inside of them. And if you just get after it a little bit, who knows what you could accomplish? And I, and I, I love the way you put that.
1: We all do change the world every day. It just depends on whether or not it's going to be for the better or the worse. Right. And uh, oh. I think that's something everyone needs to needs to realize. If there's someone on the left listening right now, and they just heard you go through all this, um, how do you explain that you actually do... You do care about other people despite your libertarianism. That doesn't mean that you don't care about others.
0: No one's going to know anyone's best interest better than that person themselves. And in order to achieve true happiness and to have at least a, a fight for, for achieving our, our highest potential, the more that people get in our way or the more that we allow people to get in our way the more hurdles there are that hinder us from actually reaching our destination. And I mean, really, it just comes down to that, that whole, like, I'm not a victim. We don't have to be victims. When we allow ourselves to be a victim, we're always taking the responsibility off our own shoulders and blaming everybody around us. Um, it doesn't have to be that way. And I feel like a lot of um, a lot of love and hope really opened up from my heart on the moment that I realized I didn't have to be a victim anymore. And I didn't have to take it and that there's a better way for everyone and whatever we're doing right now is not working and it's not it. We can all just be better. It's
1: an empowering feeling when you decide that it, you're in control of it and that it's your responsibility to take care of it, even if things are going poorly. When you know that it's on you and you decide it's on you, to me, that's I mean, that's better than hoping that the right person wins an election. Like Absolutely, that, I, I agree. I, I can't imagine you the power you yeah.
2: take the power,
0: <laughs>
2: and you can decide what you want to do with it, and that's the, that's the ultimate freedom. That's that's why we believe what we believe. So,
0: yep. Power to the people cannot be legislated.
1: Hope you guys enjoyed this week's episode. If you want to hear more, then make sure you follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We will be right back with more. And of course, you can always check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash Liberty, if you want to support our efforts to bring life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning to the masses. All right, guys. Have a good day and a good morning, Liberty.